have the unspeakable privilege of going back into God's Word this evening, right back to Luke chapter 7, if you will, down to verse 28. And it's a tremendous privilege also to be together. So proud of Connor here, being up here on the second row with Grandpa. Connor, we're really proud of you coming here on Sunday night to be with the Lord and to be with people of the Lord. Appreciate that very much. Luke chapter 7, 28, we're at the end of what we talked about this morning. You remember John's in prison. He sends a message to Jesus. Jesus sends words of encouragement back to him. John, remember the Bible. John, remember this great beatitude. Blessed is the one who's not offended in me. And then Jesus looks to the crowd and he gives a great tribute to John the Baptist by asking three questions. What did you go out in the wilderness to see three different times? And then he gives these two bold statements here in verse 28, I believe it is, 28. He says, among those born of women, there's none greater than John. And then he said, but he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And that's where we'll start tonight. This is powerful. We're going to look at five realities together this evening. Five realities. You see what happens here? There's a response to what Jesus said. And then in verse 31, Jesus is going to counter-respond. Okay. This won't take us that long. This is just a little devotional thought. Five realities that are mentioned here. Reality... Number one, we live in blessed times. We live in blessed times. Again, notice in verse 28 of Luke 7, Luke 7, greater is he who's in the kingdom. Greater is he who's in the kingdom. And as I mentioned this morning, it's not that we're greater in character than John the Baptist. It's not that we're a greater... Uh, person in the whole scheme of redemption than John the Baptist. We don't, we've, we're not having a greater gospel impact than John the Baptist. We're not, in, we're not in for a greater reward in heaven than John the Baptist, but we're in a place of blessedness that John was not in. You see, John worked prior to the cross. John worked prior to the suffering of Jesus. John worked prior to the resurrection and prior to the ascension up on high, and prior to the day of Pentecost. And we live on this side of all of that. We live in blessed times. We sure do. You might think of it this way. Just, just a few years ago, a common person in, southern United, in the southern United States were still going out using an outhouse. You remember any outhouses? You do, don't you? I knew you did. Now, we wouldn't trade these days for that convenience at all. We feel like our modern restrooms are a big improvement on that. Okay. We feel the same way with our modern means of transportation. But those who did live in those former days, It doesn't mean that, that, that we have better character than they have. It doesn't mean that we have more of a spiritual impact than they did. It doesn't mean that, 
that our reward in heaven is going to be even greater than theirs. In fact, their characters back in those days probably will outshine ours for a very long time. But we feel like still we live in a time of blessedness as far as, as restrooms are concerned and as modern means of transportation are concerned. We live in blessed times. You see, the new covenant is called, is called better in Hebrews, oftentimes called better. Hebrews 8, verses 6, 7, and 8. It's a better covenant because Jesus is the mediator He's the mediator of this covenant. It's a better covenant. It's, it's established upon better promises, it says there in Hebrews 8. You see, this is the salvation, according to Peter in 1 Peter 1 and 12, this is the salvation the angels wanted to look into. And for a great reason. These, these are better days. As far as spiritual states of blessedness, these are better days. And it seems like that our forefathers understood Luke 12, 48 better than we do. Than we do. Because Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much shall be required. If we feel like we live in a state of blessedness, then it would seem like we would, we would be moved to do more than we ever have before for the Lord. But the new covenant is called better it is something the angels wanted to look into. And I want us to notice this in John 20, 29. And you, re you remember this, okay? In just a minute, you'll re really remember it. This is Thomas and Jesus. And this is Thomas finally being able to look right at Jesus and his wounds and his resurrected body and, and reach out and, and touch that body. And, and then Thomas responded and said, My Lord and my God. What else can he say? Of course. But then Jesus said this, John 20, 29. He said, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now that's, Jesus is talking about us. Blessed are those who have not seen, who were not there and yet believe. See, we, we live in better times, better times. And it would have been great. I, just like you, I'd love to have watched the Lord ascend up into heaven. Wouldn't that have been something to see? How often do you see that? I'd love to have seen that herd of swine run off that cliff when Jesus cast out those, those demons. But still, we live in the best times. We live in blessed times. I guess you can sum up these blessed times with the volume of information that we now have. You see, John lived prior to all these things, and now we live on this side, and we have, we have the, the opportunity at least to look in and see a lot more knowledge than the prophets had. See, Jesus has now come, and he has shown us what the Father is all about prior to Jesus coming. You know, but Jesus was able to say, he who has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 7 through 9. Now we're this side of the cross. What a blessing it is. Okay, so reality number one, we live in blessed times, Luke chapter 7, 28. Reality, reality number two, the kingdom now exists. 
Re reality number two, the kingdom now exists. Notice what Jesus said about the kingdom. He who is least in the kingdom is greater than John. The kingdom now exists. Now, the Bible doesn't speak of the kingdom as being some organization in the future. You might remember a few years ago these series of movies came out called Left Behind, just full of false doctrine about the kingdom because they portrayed the kingdom as some future organization that's going to be set up in a material way here on the earth after some years of tribulation and, and war and that sort of thing. But that's not the kingdom we read about in the Bible, not in the New Testament. The kingdom now exists. Jesus spoke of the kingdom this way right there in Luke 7. He that's in the kingdom. That, meant, that means that the, the kingdom is close to coming. Close to coming. Now Jesus promised the kingdom in two or three different ways. Mark chapter 9 verse 1, he looked to some of the people, some of his disciples. He says, there are some of you standing here who will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. You see, Jesus placed the coming of the kingdom right there in the first century, right there in his own generation. And that kingdom did come on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Jesus talked about, about the kingdom in Matthew 16 when he was speaking toward uh, Peter there. And he said, upon this rock I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's a very important statement there. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because when he says that about the church, that, that connects the church to the kingdom. Okay? Because Daniel, back in Daniel 2.44, had prophesied about this coming kingdom that was on its way. And he said about that kingdom that in the days of the Roman kings, God's going to set up this kingdom that will never be destroyed, Daniel 2.44. And so when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that connects it to Daniel's prophecy there, Daniel 2.44. And Jesus said to Peter, and I will give unto you, Matthew 16, 18, and I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. So when he talked about the church, he's talking about the kingdom also. The, those terms are used in an interchangeable way. And so when is it that we find Peter standing up and preaching a full gospel sermon When's the first time we find him standing up and preaching a full gospel sermon about the Lord Jesus Christ after Jesus went back into heaven and ascended up on high? Well, you find that in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And the people obeyed. They repented of their sins and were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. And we notice there in Acts 2.41, those who gladly received this word were, were baptized, and there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church. Added to what? Added to the kingdom. Now we're here we are. Here we are. See, the kingdom now exists. Of course it does. Because what happened to Jesus when he ascended up on high? Where did he go? Is he just floating around? Where is he now? Where is he at? Well, Hebrews 1.3 and many other passages state that Jesus is now at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's now made that purging for sins 
and he's on the right hand of the majesty on high, and he's now ruling. What's he doing there at the right? He's ruling. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He's now ruling over his kingdom. And Jesus came to earth. He followed John's preaching. John's preaching. And when John would preach, Matthew 3, verse 2, John the Baptist would say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew 4, 17, Jesus came along. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. During the lifetime of John and Jesus, the kingdom was about to be there. But after the day of Pentecost, those who were obedient to the gospel found themselves in the kingdom. So the second reality is the kingdom now exists. It is the church of our Lord. And it's a tremendous, absolute privilege to be able to submit ourselves to the King of Kings. And when we do that and humbly obey Him, He puts us in His kingdom. And we place ourselves under His rule. He's now our Lord and Master. He is our King. He's our God. He's our Savior. Reality reality number three is only the humble obey. Only the humble obey. You see that in Luke 7, looking down to 28 and 29. Who is it that responds in a positive way to what all is being said by John and Jesus here? Who, Who responds in a positive way? Well, it's not the Pharisees. Who is it? Luke 7.29, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. You see, these Pharisees and lawyers, they just couldn't bring themselves to be baptized because of their pride. Couldn't do that. I'm not getting in that water. I'm not doing that. That's that's beneath me. You see. Oftentimes, those most despised and despised in society are the ones that are humble enough to obey God. These tax collectors were despised. They were associated with the Roman government, and they would come around and they would. Um, demand money from common people. Oftentimes, um, it was a little questionable about uh, how they arrived at the amount they arrived at, but a lot of these tax collectors took interest in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, Matthew invited several of his associated tax collectors, his friends who were tax collectors, to a little uh, dinner and invited Jesus, very smart, invited Jesus to come and talk to them. Well, when Jesus went, several of these Pharisees criticized him for associating with publicans and sinners. And Jesus looked to them and said, go and learn what this means. Matthew 9, verse 11. You go learn what this means. And then he quoted from the Old Testament. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And then he added this. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
In other words, those of you, like the Pharisees and lawyers, who already consider yourselves to be righteous and you have no need of a Savior, those of you, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really talking to you, okay? You're not listening to me anyway. But those of you, okay, who can see the sin in your life, those are the ones I'm calling. He said to, to those Pharisees, God wants you to have mercy and not sacrifice. They were, they were coming and were presenting all the right sacrifices at the right days of the years, according to the Old Testament regulations, but they were missing the main point of mercy toward other people. Only the humble obey God. That's why it's so important to notice that we did a little bit this morning how that when Jesus sent the message back to John, he said the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf here and the dead are raised up. And this, John, this, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Oh, yeah, John, John would say to himself, oh, yeah, that's how it goes. James 2, verse 5, has not God chosen the poor as this world, rich in faith? That's the way it usually goes. Those who, do, who are despised, those who do not have much of this world's good, they see and Wide, they, have, they see an opening for God in their lives. They see their need for the Savior in their lives. Only the humble obey. That's the way it is. Now in Matthew 11, we'll move on after this verse. Matthew 11, 25. I just wanted to, I like to mention this verse because this is when Jesus is giving thanks. I want to know about Jesus and thanksgiving. Jesus and thanksgiving. Here it is, Matthew eleven twenty five. He says, he starts out, I thank you, Lord. Actually, he says, I thank you, Father. And then he says, Lord of heaven and earth. Okay. That's intriguing to me, how that Jesus spoke to his Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. How do you begin your prayers? That's a great one. Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That kind of sets the tone for prayer, doesn't it? But I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you have revealed them unto babes. Now, Jesus is talking about humility there. He said those who consider themselves already to be wise and understanding, they're not going to find an opening for the gospel. They're not going to be able to see the word of the cross, but those babes, those who are children at heart, they will receive my word. Okay. Reality number three then was the humble, only the humble obey God. Re reality number four is that baptism is a part of God's plan. It has been. It was prophesied to be, and it especially started in the days of John the Baptist. John went around preaching. You can see it for yourselves, Mark chapter 1, 4 and 5. He went around preaching repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. Your Bible has it in it. In it. Now, Paul explains this a little bit further for us in Acts 19 and verse 4. As he's talking about the baptism of John. Acts 19 verse 4. Okay, He said, now... 
John preached a baptism of repentance saying people should believe upon him who will come after him. In other words, John continuously said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase, John 3, verse 30. And so John preached a baptism of repentance, which included for the forgiveness of sins, but he was preaching in the sense of there's one coming after him whose, whose shoes I'm not worthy to lace. But still John preached baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, now since the day of Pentecost, we preach baptism for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus. Of course we do. But baptism is presented here, and notice it here in your Bible in Luke 7. And this is interesting to me. Notice how that some responded, the tax collectors and some of the common people responded, by being baptized, and it says, justifying God. In other words, they declared God just. In being baptized, they justified God. How does that come out? It's in your Bible there, Luke 7, 29. In being baptized, they justified God. The... Being baptized explains how they come to be justified by God. Now, God doesn't need to be justified like us in the sense that we need to be made just from our sins, and that only can happen through the blood of Jesus. But when we, listen to this carefully, when we obey God, then we declare that we believe that He is just and right to require us to be obeyed, to, to obey. In other words, when we submit ourselves to God, then we are acknowledging the fact that He is just and right to require baptism from us. Okay. In other words, when we obey God, we honor God. We honor Him. Because we're saying, Lord, You are correct in requiring from us what you are requiring from us. We honor you for that. The way to honor God is to submit to Him and do His will. Now notice how this is just explained to us here in Luke 7, verse 30. It says, But, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves in not having been baptized. And so to not be baptized, to reject the counsel of God is to dishonor Him. By choosing to ignore the message of John and Jesus here, they rejected the purpose of God for their lives. In other words, they're saying, I do not acknowledge, God, that you are correct in what you are demanding here. I do not acknowledge that fact. I'm, I'm on the other side of this. I don't think... You, I don't think it's proper for you to command this of me, Lord. That's what this means when it says they rejected the counsel of God. Now, if they put themselves in that situation in rejecting the baptism of John, what does that say about those who reject baptism today in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins? 
You see, <laughs> baptism is a part of God's plan of salvation. It's not, it's not, it doesn't mean that we are working for our salvation. It doesn't mean that we're, we're obligating God uh, to save us. No, not at all. We are just simply responding to the love of God and we're honoring Him for what He has commanded us to do. And then our final reality this evening is to see that Jesus lived in a fickle, in a fickle generation. He's asking the question here. You see it here in verse 31, Luke 7, 31. You see it here. He says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? See that verse 31? Well, he's going to describe them as, as fickle. What does it mean to be fickle? Does it mean to be fickle? Okay. It means basically you can't be satisfied with, with something for very long. You just can't be satisfied with, with something for very long. He says, I'll tell you what I compare you to. I'll compare you like I'll compare you to children in the marketplace. And what are children doing in the marketplace? Well, they're playing. Okay? Like children in the marketplace, and they, they, they say, well, I played the flute for you and you did not dance. Or like children in the marketplace who sang a, a funeral song and you did not weep. See, they're like, this generation is like children. Like children. Children play. That's what Jesus is saying here. Children play. Now, some children like to play wedding. Let's play wedding. Okay? And so they play wedding. Now, other children are a little bit more on the darker side. And so they say, well, let's play funeral. Let's play funeral. I was kind of that way when I was a kid. Okay? I loved the dark stuff. Yeah, let's play funeral. Some say, oh, let's play sports. Others say, let's play cops and robbers. The thing is, children play, but they're not at it for very long. Soon, they're off doing something else. Or they're playing one thing, and then they're playing another. It doesn't take much space for children to play. You see that here in market? Where, where are they playing? In the marketplace. I'm going, I'm going with mom and dad to the marketplace. How? What am I going to do there? Children find a place to play. If mom and dad stop and talk, or if mom and dad stop and shop, Children are going to play, going to play. There was a dreadful place in Jasper, Alabama called Alabama Fabrics. And so here we go. And I'm just a little one, seven, eight years old, full of energy, just like I am now. Now, what do you do in a fabric store? You walk in, that's a headache. And so naturally, me and my brother got down on our knees and, and we crawled and we got in trouble and we crawled and we got... It don't take much space to play. Don't, you see, well, you used to see children, they, they can make a football field out of, out of a little back street. Into, and when the cars come along, you just stop the football game for a little while and then you go back to it. Me and my cousins had hours and hours of just playing on the basement steps at my grandma's house. It don't take much room to play. 
The backyard is perfect for playing Batman and Robin. Okay. Children play. Children play. One of Anna's favorite games right now is Foursquare. Foursquare. She loves Foursquare. Kids at Bible Camp love Foursquare. That's what, that's what it sounds like. You just draw four squares, and they're there for hours playing four square. It, don't take, it just takes a corner. That's all it takes. One thing about kids, though, they're at this game for a little while, and then before long, they're at another game. They're, they're fickle. Their nature is fickle. They're not at it for very long. Before long, they're going to be, and they may argue about what they should do and not do, and you'll hear them, and they're all passionate about it, but they're going from one thing to the next, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying about his generation. Keep reading here in, in Luke 7. He said, John came along, and he didn't go to any of your eatings. He didn't, he didn't come and partake of your bread and your drinks. Rather, he was out in the wilderness, and what did you say about him? He has a demon. He said, the Son of Man comes along, and he does attend your weddings, and he does attend your dinners. And what do you say about him? He's a wine-bibber and a glutton. That's exactly what Jesus is saying about his generation. They cannot be satisfied. And I wonder, does that resemble ours at all today? Jesus is saying there are some people in the world who cannot make a decision if their life depended on it. They cannot take the plain gospel and look at it and stand upon it. They're, they're always saying maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe someday they cannot land and make a decision. I want to close by looking with you, looking at Ecclesiastes 12. Just because we hadn't looked at Ecclesiastes 12, it teaches this. We hadn't looked at it this in a while. Solomon is talking about the words that he's been able to learn from God and share them with others. He calls them, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 10, upright words, words of truth. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes 12, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by the one shepherd. Underline that just for further study. That is very interesting. These, these wise sayings, Solomon says, I have been collected, they really come from the one shepherd, and they are fixed. They are fixed, and those who stand upon them have made a firm decision. And notice verse 12. He said, My son, beware of anything beyond these. There you go. These wise, these true, these upright words that have been given by the one shepherd, beware of anything beyond these. It is upon the word where we need to find our ground. We need to fix ourselves and plant ourselves on the word of God. Don't be like that fickle generation that Jesus was talking about. So these five realities here from Luke uh, 7, we live in blessed times. The kingdom does exist. Only the humble end up obeying God. Baptism is a part of God's eternal plan.
And there are some, like Jesus' generation, who are fickle. They cannot be satisfied. And perhaps these words, which really is a great privilege and honor for us to be able just to open up these sacred writings, read them for ourselves, learn a little bit that can exhort us and encourage us for the coming week. Perhaps something has touched your heart this evening. Perhaps God's Word is beginning to make inroads into your heart. It is His way of contacting us. You know, we've been able to talk to God in prayer and praise Him in song. He's been speaking to us now through His Word. Is He speaking to, to you personally tonight? Are you ready to put Him on in baptism? Are you ready to come back home to Him? Please do so right now as we stand, as we stand.